0: I'm happy to welcome you to the final communications forum event of this semester Uh, and my task here is the delightful and relatively easy one of introducing our distinguished moderator who will then run the event for us. Our moderator of course is the legendary Henry Jenkins, uh, the co-director of the and and creator of the comparative media studies program and the Peter de Florence professor of humanities at MIT. It's very hard to introduce Henry in a a few words, although I plan to do that, uh, in part because he is so omnivorous intellectually that there's almost no interesting field of the humanities that has not been touched by his genius. He, of course, as many of you in the audience know, uh, is one of the pioneering writers about the significance of fan culture in contemporary society, and has moved, of course, as also many of you know, into uh, very uh, uh, productive and suggestive perspectives on the nature of the process he he names as convergence. In his most recent book, Convergence Culture, makes these arguments in a systematic and very uh, productive way. Uh, but some of you may not know that he has also made distinguished important contributions to the history of film. His first book was about... Uh, a form of uh, early sound comedy that is, that that is, in a, in one sense the standard uh, book in its in, on on that subject. He's written about science fiction and science fiction audiences. One of his most influential books, it's very hard to decide which, book has been, which of his works has been most influential because, he, because his influence has ramified in so many different directions. Uh, one of his most powerful and interesting books uh, uh, elaborates certain ideas you can find in de Certeau's work, uh, and the book is called Textual Poachers, Television, Fans, and Participatory Culture. And a good deal of his later work can be found in embryonic form in that remarkable book. So the main point is that, like Conrad's Kurtz, a bad analogy, because he's a bad guy, Henry is a universal genius. And it's a great pleasure to introduce him.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's hard to know how to respond to an introduction like that when you're merely moderating and not actually presenting, but uh, thanks, David. Uh, uh summer a uh, year summer of '06, six uh I got in, got received through channels that remain nameless uh, an advanced copy of the pilot of heroes uh, and and was able to watch it with my wife up at our cabin in the north georgia mountains and I thought I would share uh share with you a little bit of what that first episode would have sh- suggested and i the best way to do it is the show the the following weeks previously on will give you a compression of that first essay about as uh, episode about as well as anything and we will start there Uh, good luck
2: previously on heroes five strangers across the globe began to discover they had extraordinary abilities from the cheerleader who realized she's invincible
3: I have busted like every bone in my body, and I don't have a scratch on me.
2: To the office worker who can bend space and time, these strangers are discovering they're meant for something more. Do you ever get the feeling like you were meant to do something extraordinary? And as a son seeks the truth by finishing his father's work. I spoke to him two days ago.
0: He was this close to finding the first offense.
2: He's forced to run from a man surrounded in mystery. He left everything behind but his computer. A man who's more connected than anyone imagined.
4: Hi, Daddy. Hey, baby.
2: And now, Heroes continues.
1: Oh, let, me, let me pull us back to the menu before I. So so that sort of gives you a taste of, <laughs> ah, stop, stop. A taste of what I'm going to do next. Uh, I I will fiddle with this in a minute. Yeah, come on, stop, stop. Yes, I do want to (laughs) quit. Okay, so tonight tonight I want us to, we sort of want to walk through the way, many, many ways that Heroes has has been part of the transformation of American television that's been going on in the last couple of years. And I'm delighted to have with us tonight two producers from the program. Uh, Jesse Alexander is a co-executive producer and writer on Heroes and an executive producer on the Heroes spinoff, Origins. Previously, Alexander was an executive producer on ABC's Alias and a co-executive producer on ABC's Lost, which tells you something of the genealogy that's led to Heroes in a certain way, since those are two shows that I think paved the way for what Heroes has accomplished. Mark Warshaw is a writer, producer, director who joined the Heroes team in 2006 help launch their transmedia department. Prior to joining Heroes, Warshaw spent six years on the TV show Smallville, overseeing all of the digital DVD and integrated advertising marketing initiatives. So I've just read that, but I think it might be helpful for the audience to actually understand, in more layman's terms, what it is you you each do on on Heroes, since the word producer in Hollywood covers a pretty broad range of different roles. Maybe we could get started by just spelling out a little bit your function within the
5: overall creative team. Uh, sure. Uh, From towards me like this. <laughs> uh, and first, I gotta say that Mark and I were on the red eye last night and we're exhausted, so that we could end up saying things that are incredibly candid and using profanity and all sorts of sorts of things like that, uh, just to give it that qualifier. Um, uh, Producer titles are applied to writers in the television business to establish seniority and a hierarchy so that uh, co-executive producer means that I am a senior writer on the show and am involved uh, at a high level with shaping the direction of the series, uh, shaping where the stories go. You know, my main function is running the writers room so um, that means that I It's a lot like herding cats, you know, because writers can be very crazy and all over the place. And it's a matter of getting a team to collaborate and work creatively uh, uh, in in one direction. So uh, I'm very involved in the writing. And then also a lot based on my experience on Alias and Lost, I was brought in to help shape the direction of the brand and direction of the series and what other areas the show could go into in terms of transmedia in terms of ways that we could effectively exploit the uh, um, uh, franchise and, and, and do justice to it. Um, uh, but I, you know, I don't, the bottles are terrible on the table apparently. <laughs> uh, um, sorry. Uh, but uh, in terms of producerial duties, we don't really, I'm, I'm not involved in, I don't control money. But I am, because of that seniority, it's important that I keep the fiscal demands of the show in my thought process as I'm working creatively, and that is uh, is something that's important at that senior level of writing, um, on the show. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense.
6: All right, all right. Um, and what I do, I came on the show in the middle of last season. And uh, I've always been in the digital space of the digital extension of television shows. Um, so I came in to help run the, the ancillary markets of Heroes, which, because I came here last year and got Henry's book, we called it the Transmedia Department. Um, and NBC was good enough to let us start a Transmedia Department on Heroes, which has really helped us build out our brand. So what I do is I oversee the day-to-day Um, of the Heroes 360 initiative, of um, all of our evolutions initiatives, which is the extension of our story online, Uh, and that involves comic books, the webisodes, and and things like that. I also help with the the production of the DVDs, and um, pretty much any other piece of merchandising, from an action figure, to a greeting card, to to a, a, a mobile video game, my job is basically to help extend the brand beyond the television screen at,
5: at, but at its core, Mark and I are, are, I think would both consider ourselves storytellers that 's really you know how we started as writers in this business and, and that 's really how we see ourselves but we 've just kind of ended up rising to a level within our you know profession and being part of a show that has that demands a lot of other duties from us i don 't think Mark ever imagined that he was going to have to be dealing with greeting cards when we brought him in to handle transmedia storytelling but there was no one else to cover that kind of thing, and we wanted to be able to control the way uh, the Heroes brand was put out into into the ancillary spaces. So Mark was generous enough to help us deal with all that stuff.
6: I had written on Smallville before I got there, and helped write a lot of the webisodes and stuff that we, you know, we've we've done and a lot of the the content that we actually have online right now for Heroes. So, you know, we're members of the guild, and we work we're on ho-
5: strike right now. We're on strike. <laughs> Which is why we're here. Exactly. It's great. We don't have to miss work to come, which is fantastic. It's
6: crazy not worrying about the emails coming in right now.
5: Yeah. It's pretty great. It's it helped
6: in- us enjoy the robots today a lot more yes. in the Media That's Lab. True. So, so
1: um, the title of our program today is From Appointment Television to Engagement Television. And, and it's meant to evoke that idea of television, you know, once was an appointment medium. We tuned in and watched the show when it was aired. We had chosen one of, one of three networks when I was in, growing up. My grandmother's TV set was stuck on CBS, so it was the only thing that she saw in that house, and she was quite content with that. Now, though, Heroes is a show that people are watching through legal and illegal downloads, uh, watching on their TiVos, watching on their computers, watching on DVD sets after the fact. How has that changed the way you conceptualize what a television show is for the 21st century?
5: Um, It is incredibly critical in, you know, our thought processes when we're talking about Heroes and certainly creating, because we are right on the cusp of this transition, that, you know, Heroes is one of the few shows that has actually entered this space when it's been, um, I can't, can't think of the word right now, but because of things like Lost, that it's more defined, so it's coming in in this kind of the second generation, the 2.0 of serialized engagement television. So, um, Heroes, from its very inception, was conceived by Tim Kring to incorporate all these other elements and and to take advantage of every possible media platform he could to uh, to tell stories and make his brand uh, viable and important in the world, and. Uh, it, That type of thinking is critical to apply to a television series, particularly if you're entering the space uh, on broadcast television with something like Heroes that is incredibly expensive. It costs a lot of money to make something like Heroes and they need to figure out ways to generate revenue that's going to support and sustain something like that. Um, So if you're interested in creating that type of AAA franchise, you know, content, you absolutely need to consider incorporating transmedia into the DNA of your concept. That said, those concepts can can trickle down and be incorporated into, into any level of you know television or entertainment, and is and is important if you can figure out a way to do it organically. And I think you know in the space that we're in right
6: now, we're it's it's a lot easier to do the serialized content. You know, with people, it's it you know people TiVo bank their, their episodes, and they they uh, they they're it's very accessible to go online tomorrow and and watch whatever episode was, uh, was up on, uh, was broadcast on Monday night. So the ability to tell a serialized story now is a, is a lot easier.
5: And, and you know, it's just incredible how in the last few years, this, this, you know, this stuff has changed, um, in the way that we, uh, it, you know, it's the serialized things like lost lost was appointment television. You know and then transition to engagement television in, in terms of ways you could you know watch the show on dVD, but for for a period of time it was incredibly critical to to be able to talk about lost at the water cooler the next day and And for some people, it still is, but you know I, I think that you know something like a survivor or an American idol or something something like that that, um, that has a certain shelf life and demands people to be able to interact with it in a timely fashion. That is something that that uh, that you know our types of serials have have left behind very quickly and in, in a way that that I certainly didn't anticipate and, and i i didn't anticipate the way that you know twenty plus percent of our audience would be on d v r and and rising constantly and and you know the you know i it's it's tough for me to reveal the numbers specifically, but the tens of millions of people that are watching the show online at their leisure, and and still finding a way to participate within that the community of fans of the show, and still find a way that they have social currency within the um, within being part of the the meta mysteries of the show and 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 the fan cultures, um, and, and that's something that we're still. Um, still reeling from it and, and, and you know something like heroes it, it, you know and, and all, all the shows i've worked on you know the alias and the lost and the heroes of the world Exper- experiencing those shows on dvd or uh, you know on itunes or webis in you know webisode content where you can constantly just be watching it at your own pace um it, it, i think is a much more enjoyable experience than trying to shoehorn this model into the into the broadcast space, where you're week to week, you're interrupting um, you know your acts with you know car commercials and Tide commercials, and you're asking an audience to um, to keep a tremendous amount of serialized and uh, narrative and character narrative in their heads for a very long period of time. Um, it, it is still it's, it's it's very challenging for us, and, and we've tried to do things on Heroes too to adapt to the realities of the way people watch our show. Um, You know, such as, you know, the first half of, you know, last year we carried narrative all the way through the entire year. Um, So you had to have watched the show from the beginning to understand what was happening in episode 24. Um, And and that's incredibly complex in terms of being, uh, as storytellers and as an audience, to be able to, to to remember why you're supposed to care about something like that, that you saw, you know, half a year ago. And yet when you watch it on DVD, it's a tremendous, it's a much more satisfying experience. So this season, um, we, uh, broke up the season into, you know, Tim Kring, who created heroes likes to think of these as volumes. So, um, you know, this is right now we're in volume two, which ends, uh, episode 11 mid season and ties off the narrative so that then we can reboot, if we come back, when we come back, and, and, and you won't have to have, you know, seen the, seen the whole show so that, so that viewers can, can, can jump on mid-season. Um, was that on point? Yeah.
1: So, so what's the connection? You were, describing, <laughs> we're describing a kind of fundamental shift in how people are engaging with television. I'm, I'm curious. I'm assuming many of the audience have seen Heroes. How many of you watched the episode on broadcast if you watched it? All right. Are you going to do more than one thing? Okay, keep your hand. How many watched at least one episode and download at this point?
5: Yeah, it's a disaster. It's crazy. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, how many of you watched at least one episode on DVD at this point?
6: So we, we, How many of you watched the downloads on NBC.com? And how many of you watched it other ways?
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So I just wanted to use that to set the scene then for the discussion of the strike that's going on, which seems to essentially deal with this shift in the nature of television that we're talking about. So could you give us a little perspective from front lines about what you see the strike is about and how it's tied to some of these changes and how people are consuming content?
5: me. I just talked a lot. Yeah, I talked you did talk a lot. You give me the hard one. And again, the hard controversy. You know, of. I have told Henry, I'm used to filibustering executives until they give me what I want. So I just talk and talk and then they get exhausted and they say, here, oh go. Get out of
6: here. Just take so, what you,
5: want. uh, I, forgive me if I rattle on.
6: All right, you're gonna have to jump in on some of this okay. and edit me. But, um, you know, all you guys that raised your hand for DVDs. I mean, that's the, the amount of D V D sold in the first week of Heroes when we released it was astronomical. It was the most um, television, it was the be- largest release for universal home video for a television release ever. Um, and that's a lot of money. And, and it was released globally, globally.
5: simultaneously?
6: Yeah. I, mm, I think there was, a, there was a slight rollout, but uh-huh. you know, Dennis Hammer, our executive producer, went around the world. He put together a world tour and helped really you know, push the DVD all around the world. And um, there's, I'm sure you have heard, and if you haven't, you know, the the structure for the way writers are paid off of DVDs, we get about four cents off of a $50 set. And the guy that makes the package for the DVD gets about 50 cents. So the box maker gets...
5: And that four cents is... For all the people, I think, who delivered writing services on that episode, I believe so. Yeah. So it's it's divided up, you know, significantly. <laughs> um, so if you think of someone that is a, a writer
6: for a book, or every time Sting's, you know, every every breath you take is played on the radio, he gets a couple pennies on that. So you can see what that's that's part of what we're we're obviously fighting for. The other thing is um, the fact that we actually put these shows like you guys all raise your hand on nbc.com. Well nbc.com plays the shows and they put advertising to it. And right now, you know, it's very rare to get a lost rerun, right? Do they not run lost reruns anymore? I have no idea dude. I heard I heard they don't. And I heard they don't because they want you to go to abc.com and actually watch the episode there. Because they get paid every time you know the advertisers' messages get seen by the stream. So
5: um uh, and, and the way that, 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 you know, who knows how much revisionist history there is towards the strike of 88 when that DVD formula came about. The way it's been painted to me by my guild is the guild agreed to cut the studios and the networks a break and help them launch a new format called DVD and agreed to take a this very kind of low rate with the expectation and agreement at some level that that rate would be renegotiated once the format was robust, you know I don't know anything about business, and that sounds idiotic to me that you would be, that you would do something like that and say oh just be nice guys like when you start making all this money share with us, that is, that's not the way you know co- companies think, um, and it's that lesson that is dictating the behavior of the guild in terms of how strident they are w- with this strike because the. The, the financial model is being you know the paradigm is being completely redefined in terms of what TV is and what you call TV and how people get paid for for for, for what they make and create.
6: A large percentage of writers and actors and directors in in LA or just in Hollywood in general uh, get paid through their residuals and a large percent of them don't work all the time it's very rare to get on a show at all so when you do get paid um, you really count on those downtimes when you're in between jobs for those residual checks, and when that gets taken away, you're you know you're, you're obviously hurting. And another reason that we're we're on strike right now is that part of what what I do and what Jesse helps out a lot with is is the transmedia landscape and the webisodes and the mobisodes and the comic books and uh, just about everything else that you know now the the networks are really pushing out and, and advertisers really want to be participants in. Well, when we create that content, when we write that content, and it is storytelling, uh, it's considered promotional, which at one point, that might have been a good argument, but it's clearly becoming real extensions of the story. Yeah, that's not covered, and, and we, don't get, we don't get paid like regular writers that are part of the guild. We don't get residuals for that. So let's say that we read a comic book that, that introduces right, yeah that introduces a brand new character. Well, if, you, if Jesse writes an episode that introduces a brand new character, every time that brand new character is in a new episode, he's going to get paid for that. But if we created a character for a comic book, we would never get paid for that again. And let's say we came up with a webisode series that felt like a spinoff of the show. Well, if we created that webisode series, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a spinoff that comes out of Heroes, but if they choose to continue to make it, over and over and over again. In effect, we've created a spin-off of Heroes. And if we created that, you know, if you're a creator of a television show, no matter what happens, you're going to get paid every single time that show is on the air. No matter if they make 20 episodes or 500 episodes, you're going to get paid every single time. But if you create a webisode series that's a big spin-off, maybe they make a cartoon out of it, you're never going to get paid again right now. So that's part of why we're striking as well.
5: And this promotional definition made sense, you know. When I worked on Alias, I was more than happy to do whatever it took to keep that show on the air, and if that meant, you know, writing content for the web, participating in a video game, anything like that, I was totally up for it, and uh, and it actually worked pretty well for us. Uh, and but they didn't sell any advertising on that on that content. There was no. There was no revenue being generated by that content. It was just a way to get fans and, and primarily the core fans of the show to keep them invested in the show and give them a way to participate in the experience. Over the last couple of years, that has shifted completely. So this is, a, this is something that, that, you know, it, you know, it, it very, it's very interesting times for the business and whether it continues to move forward in the way that it has or it completely falls apart. Who knows? You know probably it'll be you know some combination of both. Um, but you know, you know I, I think what you know the guild is looking for is, is, is fair compensation. It's they're, they're looking for we had a model where we were compensated for things we create now you're taking that model away uh, and yet we're still creating content and you're making money off of it but you're calling it something else and not giving and not giving us any any participation in that and, and that you know certainly doesn't make any sense to writers, and and it might make sense to accountants, but you know for for us it just seems like that's not fair, you know, and and, and you know we're willing to to, to strike for that. Like,
1: whatever. Oh. I so let's yeah, I having, having sort of laid out the terms of the strike yeah. and sort of understanding that television itself is undergoing some growing pains as it struggles with new modes of engagement, and how to compensate writers for it. It might be useful then to sort of walk through some of the features of Heroes and why it's such a cutting-edge show in relation to the trends we've we've talked about. Um, Starting with this concept of engagement, right? That what does it mean to be engaged with television? If what we're counting on is a viewer who's loyal enough to watch every episode and who's loyal enough to turn in, track that material down across the web, what are the hooks that heroes create that ensures that? One of them clearly is serialization. And I know there's been a lot of discussion about how the ability to download episodes and get caught up at various points along the way enables a serial form of storytelling that's very different from the episodic dramas of previous time periods. So, could you talk a little bit about the thinking that goes into the serialization? aspects of, of Heroes? Uh, you, how, how receptive are networks to that push toward more serialized episodes and, and what are, you know, how does that fit
5: into your understanding of how people are watching television right now? Um, you know, I think, I think it would be fair to say that networks are un- uncomfortable with serialization because, uh, you know, at the end at the end of the day, the networks are still in a very episodic model of television and it's it it still is all about the broadcast and it's about your broadcast rating so they want to make sure that the most you know as many people as possible can watch your show on a week to week basis um, They have also done studies that they often quote where they say even the most die hard fan of a show you know only sees every other episode so in terms of a serial, it, it's incredibly difficult for, for networks to, to be comfortable with them because they feel that it raises the barrier to, to audience, audiences connecting with the show. And yet, it's very clear that it also engages a, a significant portion of the audience and a, and a portion of the audience that is, in, is, is important, the, the 18 to 49 demographic. And certainly the teen audience you know, gravitates towards shows like this. And, and those demos, as I'm sure you all know, are, are what is attractive to advertisers. So it, it's a very tricky situation that they find themselves in. And, and it's a very tricky situation that we are put in as, as creators of serials. Because we need to make sure that enough people watch our show every week. Um, and yet we are committed to a serialized format. So that's why we're constantly experimenting with how much narrative, um, how how much serialized narrative, how much serialized characters can an audience uh, sustain and how can episodes be crafted so that there is episodic content within those episodes. That was one of the things that went into, you know, a lot of the show that I was on, Alias, you know, we, we uh, were just, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. We did a lot of things that were pretty cool, but we took a lot of lessons from things that we did on Alias in, in ways that had not worked out well for us and tried to apply them to Lost. Um, and Heroes has been an iteration on that. But uh, the flashback component to Lost, one, one of the big reasons we, we did that was so that there would be an episodic story in every episode. And this was in the early days as it was conceived and I think as it was executed pretty well, season one that audiences, if you had never seen the show before, potentially you could come onto that show and you could, there was a story and a character that you could engage with and be able to follow within that episode. Um, and, and that was, a, you know, th- that was one way we tried to balance the, the needs of serial and, and episodic. Um, and, you know, and, and again, the serialized story has, has worked so well for us on iTunes and on DVD and, and when people are watching the show at their own pace, Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things that we did, you know, I I get, I think Tim Kring has spoken pretty openly about, about, about this. And one of the mistakes that we made this year in, in, in the sec second season of heroes, we didn't early on establish what, what the, what the threat was for the year. Last year, at, at, when we launched the pilot, there was a bomb on the floor in the second episode. The cutest guy ever went to the future, and he saw this bomb explode, and he came back. He was like, i got to save everybody. So that was a very, very clear destination that, that you were headed to. And wherever you came into the narrative, you could frame it with that idea and that concept. We did not do that this year. And, uh, and uh, we absolutely uh, screwed up. Um, because people were watching it and were, th- were like, why am I watching this? Why do I care? Where is it going? And, and where we had you know, just thought, well, of course they know we're driving it somewhere. But there wasn't that overbearing sense of fear, that, that component of expectation, where I, I know where this is all heading, that would allow them to, um, to enjoy the show on a, on a very kind of fundamental, visceral level. Um, and, uh, and that was, you know, that was. Certain, that's one of the lessons that we have learned. Um, did I get off topic again? Mm-hmm. Sorry, dude. I'm exhausted.
2: I'm exhausted.
1: Uh, you want to jump in, Mark? Oh, sure. I don't know.
6: <laughs> what was the topic,
5: guys? <laughs> well,
1: well, let's let's oh, talk. Cool. Let's talk about backstory then a little bit, because right. I think that's one of the things that Heroes has done particularly well. That having episodes that go just go back in time or forward in time. Give you pieces of the narrative that feel rich or special because they break out of the normal timeline of, of the series, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those choices that go into the design of the, the story arc. Uh, that's for you too.
5: That's me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it. that is a I, dude. I don't know. I don't know why you are, you are you here? I'm just uh, here. Absolutely. I'm here he gave me you. convergence culture. That's why he's here. <laughs> uh, uh, that's a really interesting question, and. Um, You know, I don't want to – I'm trying to think of how to phrase this without uh, giving away the ham, as it's often referred to. Um, Sometimes we don't know exactly what the backstory is in terms of some of these characters and in terms of some of the narrative. So it's, it's, you know, challenging for us to figure out when it's best to – Insert a flashback episode potentially into, um, you know, in, into the narrative, into the narrative serialized line, and 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 also wanting to make sure that those flashback moments are earned and that people have invested enough in the characters so that when they have that experience, it it it's more emotional for them and it feels like we're really revealing something to them. And that worked incredibly well for us last year when I think around episode eight or something like that, we, we did, or was it later than that? I can't remember. So we did a six months ago episode where you'd been, you know, throttling forward at full speed with this serial and, uh, um, you had just gotten this massive confrontation between the hero and the villain. And then you jumped back and learned, you know, more about who they were and, and got more insight into those characters this year we, you know, chose to follow that same structure. And the flashback episode that we just did recently showed you what happened after the end of last season. So, you know, I I think we took a model that worked for us last year and tried to apply it this year. and, uh, And it probably wasn't as effective because I think there had been a hu- uh, such a hunger from the audience to know where those characters were at the beginning of season two, and we, you know, h- held up, held onto that for too long, I think, um, and and it, you know, caused people to be to be frustrated. Um, and I think Tim Kring, you know, I'm just covering myself. I think Tim Kring has spoken about this in Entertainment Weekly, so I'm not speaking <laughs> out of school. So. Uh, I hope. And I um, think
6: we we also, you know online, what we do is we set up structures to also allow for the backstory. We want to, the backstory is a real heavy element of what we do online as well. So like the comic books are a great place to tell a backstory. That's where you'll find out where the Haitian really came from. If you broke into the Primatech secret files, you can find out backstory on, you know, Matt Parkman and Siler way before it actually hits the show. So we, we try to basically Build up to that kind of stuff, and as we know that particular storylines are coming down the pipe, we'll start building the online story immersive environment to uh, to 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 get you ready, so you understand a little bit more of the motivations behind the characters when you actually land on the show.
5: And that's one of those things that it, you know, you know, we're constantly trying to balance, you know. Again, we're all. We have to service the broadcast audience first, and we have to make sure that they understand what the hell is going on, that they can watch the show and, and get it. But we want to add value for the for the core fans, for the people who are really interested in going deeper on the show. So, um, you know, often we, you know, are are struggling with what do we reveal uh, online, what do we reveal on the show, um, and uh, you know that that's you know an interesting challenge that we have. That we we only have that challenge because we have the transmedia outlet to be able to expand our stories. Um, you know in terms of that, just as storytellers in the way that you know those flashbacks on Lost were conceived um, to give you more insight into who those characters were um, there was also originally a, a, a narrative component in those built into those stories so that you know and uh, so that the, the flashbacks were tied together a little bit more narratively, um, and which was incredibly complicated to try and figure out how to do that and how to execute that. Um, and, you know, now I, I think that, you know, I think the way that, Lo- oh, jeez, I'm going to say something bad about Lost. no oh, fuck. I'm not. I'm going to say it in a positive way because they still tell, you know, they tell amazing stories, but, you know, because the task is so challenging, it, it's difficult to have new information come in the in the flashbacks in in lost in you know for characters and and you know often those moments can be repetitive. They can still be incredibly compelling stories, but it, it's challenging to have them to give them narrative value to the to the overall mythology. And it's something that we've tried to be wary of on heroes is not overusing that flashback tool and to try and find a way to apply it um, when it can be most effective emotionally. And uh, though I think the content of the episode of Heroes, that was the flashback episode we just did, was fantastic. um, If it had been applied, I think potentially earlier in the season it would have been more effective and would have engaged people more in in, in the season. Um, And, uh, you know, You know, just to say, you know, again, I don't, I I think this is, uh, it's, I don't know if it's common knowledge, who the hell cares. (laughs) Last year, when we were, when we created the show, no one knew what the, what the hell Heroes was going to be. No one knew what it was. No one understood what the form was. Um, And there were, and Tim Kring assembled an incredibly creative group of people to craft the stories and craft what that show was. And we functioned in in, an, in a tremendously collaborative way, and and in a much more kind of rock and roll jam band way of of building our stories, um, you know that suggests that we didn't know exactly where we were going. We had some tent poles, we had some things like that, but we were much more you know fluid and in the moment. And I think it gave the gave the show an incredible spontaneity. This year we planned things out a little bit more and. Um, and had a had a had an arc and a narrative and a you know interconnected story that we that we planned out. Um, and, and when you do when you do something like that, and again, these are all things that we should know. We should have known this. But uh, <laughs> when you do something like that, you can as a as a creative person, you can end up stalling a little bit to get to the next story point, and it and the, the story isn't as spontaneous and and doesn't move as quickly. Um, and you can also potentially set up. Because you know where you're going, you can set up clues that obviously tell you where you're going and tell your audience where you're where you're going. Um, and uh, they, uh, um, I th- you know, I, I, again, I, I think that c- I think that Volume Two will will be a tremendously enjoyable thing to watch on DVD or watch on download or watch at your own pace. But particularly on broadcast, and particularly after the expectation of last season, it's a very different viewing experience. Um, And and a lot of that has to do with the way that we approach creatively, uh, you know, making the show.
1: So I want to pull in Mark's direction a little bit here and talk a bit about the comics and the transmedia dimensions. And this is the gorgeous cover by Alex Ross, if any of you comics fans are out there. This just went on the sale as a book just a few weeks ago. It's doing very well. One of the things that that struck me reading it... And it's all promotional. That's all
5: promotional material. Yeah. What are you looking at?
1: So one of the 100%. things that, uh, as I read it as a promotional material, <laughs> yes. uh, was that uh, you flush out this backstory of Wireless running through this, who receives relatively little screen time on the, the air. I'd, I'd scarcely remembered the character at the end of the season, and when I read, read the backstory, I suddenly felt an urge to go back and see those episodes again and flush out those those moments that Wireless, as a character, is in. So it sort of poses this question, as you're developing this material, to what degree do you want it to be stuff that is absolutely central to the experience of the show? And to what degree is it a reward for those of us hardcore viewers who've read the comics or an incentive for us to go back and watch the episodes again? How do you conceptualize the fit between what's in the transmedia stuff and what's in the, the show?
6: You, you basically, you, you want someone, we want our toys too, and so it, it, did, it definitely is helpful to have characters that we can kind of run with. And the, the, the heroes team, the writers team, by creating wireless, really really put out there a great tool to, to run with. Because she can like, for all those who don't know, the wireless can, can hear and see the internet and all forms of, of digital communication. So she's the perfect 360 character for us to play with. And we've used her. We set her up as our guide in the, in the 360 space. Um.
5: And she was designed for that specific use. She was designed just to be seen in the show in a very limited way and then to have a much more robust life on the web and be able to you know, do whatever web content we needed to potentially be able to shill whatever... You know, sprint phones. We we needed to do that. She was going to have that use, and yet be an authentic, organic part of the hero's narrative, and someone we could fold back into in, into the show itself.
6: And she's your, she's your maestro. She's she's her purpose. Her backstory is important, just so you actually have some credibility to her. And we got to set that up right. in the comic books really well. But her real purpose is to tell you what's really going to happen in the show in the series and get you deeper into the mythology. So, you know, before we had Company Man, which is a great back. Um, a flashback episode that it was the the episode where we found out about h r g and, and and his entire backstory um, we you know Matt Parkman and Ted Sprague showed up at the house, and we had set up weeks in advance that Hannah was actually putting those two people together and so for those fans in the know, you kind of had a a spoiler without having to steal the casting sides. You could actually play along in the universe and and I think for that reason. Hannah is she's just been a great character, and fans online have really responded well to her you know she she didn't play incredibly well on on the series and and we haven't gone back to her much at all but we we really got some good traction out of her online and and it, she's she was a, a very it's a genius tool to play with I think
5: and that was something that you know was it was you know i, I it was, very, it was incredibly innovative what we did with that character. And, and the fact that at a high level, creatively, the show, the Heroes, is tuned in to do, making those types of choices and making those types of aggressive decisions of we're going to introduce her on the show and then put her on the web that's, and, and then bring her back to the show, that's crazy that we were actually able to do it, that and it pull just, it off.
6: It doesn't happen. I mean, there yeah. just the year before. Jericho was talking about doing that and they're like, wouldn't it be amazing if we introduced a character online and then brought her on the show? Yeah. Like, how crazy would that be? So the fact that, you know, it actually organically flows out of the writer's room and that's, that's what Heroes do, does and I think Jesse really is a, plays a huge part in that because he's obsessed with transmedia, as am I, that we actually, everything kind of goes hand in hand and Tim Kring is an incredible fan mm-hmm. of all this stuff as well. So, we're constantly being fed ideas. You know, I'll look at the script and think you know, this is a good place to go. We should do a webisode series on Takeizo Kenze. We should learn his whole backstory and let's do it in the style of a, of a history channel biopic. But um, Jesse or, or some of our other writers will literally come down and say, wouldn't it be amazing if we just did this? Like, and what, what we've tried to do with the, the the team that we have at NBC.com and the team we've been building on our transmedia side is set up these, a network of channels. For every different kind of, of heroes fan, so like we kind of based it on the cranium model, and you know we have an activating evolution site, which is the the site that promotes Suresh's dad's book. But that's if you if you're sort of into the, in the science of the show, then you can go there and get your little backstory of the science of the show. If you're more into the mythology of the heroes, over time we set up the Yamagato Fellowship Foundation. We had George Takai come on and like actually do the web address in Japanese, and Takai. Um, okay. George Takei.
5: Yes, thank God you're here. <laughs>
6: um, and well, you know, we, we spent the better part of, of last season just kind of building out this foundation so that we can actually start filling it up with content. We only have, we just got four people in our transmedia department.
5: Before the strike. Three weeks
6: before the strike. It was brutal. It was two before that. It was tough. But NBC.com has a great, great team. Um, but they also work on about 30 other shows, so there's a lot to get done with very little um, resources. But you know, NBC is really forward-thinking about this, and it became a top priority for them. And it what what we've seen is a huge shift just in the last few years, where it was a promo, and they say just go run and run run off and create a webisode series or do these promos. and Now it's you know, one of the, the guy who oversees production for the actual television series coming down and saying, alright, we're gonna get transmedia in order and, and come down and applying, they're applying right now the same exact uh, production standards to transmedia as they do to a, you know, 120 million dollar series, which is difficult because we, we need to move at the speed of the internet and they're moving at the speed of network television. And there's some learning, and we're definitely going through some growing pains there. Uh, but with each, it's, 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 I give them a lot of credit for actually getting down, hunkering in, and, and actually getting educated as fast as they can, because they do know that this is a space that our fans completely demand. You can't you cannot have a show like Heroes without having the space to do this stuff. And more importantly, uh, from a business perspective, it's something because the fans demand it, the advertisers are demanding it. So all of the deals that we make with you know huge network buys, you know you saw, Hero talking about the Nissan Versa last year, and I'm sure. You've noticed the Nissan Rogue this year and Cisco security systems and <laughs> a couple of Sprint telephones. Um, and all of those deals they require multi-platform ad buys. You can't just, you're you're gonna buy you know, it's it's actually integrated into this television series because people have to TiVo proof. The advertisers need to make sure you're getting their message because we don't get paid unless the advertisers are buying advertising time. Well at the same time the advertisers are demanding that we also have something online because they want to get that engaged viewer and so by creating this space to actually have fans of heroes live in a space and extend their experience one hour beyond the actual time they're spending watching a broadcast television series, they're in an environment where they're spending a lot of time. Come Tuesday, there's many, many, many places they can go just in the NBC.com world. I mean, if, if you... Joe Tallarico, who is our amazing producer at, at NBC.com, just told me the other day that we actually have 10,000 pages of Heroes content in the nbc.com site right now so Dude, it's
5: crazy uh and it, it, it <laughs> is a you know it's a it, it it's pretty amazing how the strike happened now because the, you know I, I did well i didn't know what was called transmedia content you know when i worked on the show alias we just you know loved the net and loved being creative so we created web pages and when I say we, me and a couple writers on the show created a very rudimentary ARG, even though we didn't know what that was, and would just use existing you know websites and and you know take JPEGs and use steganography to create secret messages and put them out there, and we we just did that from a very pure creative place, and and always wanted that to become something that was incorporated into the into the, into the making of the show. Um, and we've finally reached that point at Heroes where it is, it is in the DNA of the show. And someone like you know, Mark, in what had previously been a ghettoized department, Transmedia, is now at the highest levels of creativity on the show and is incorporated into many of the decisions we make, almost all the decisions we make creatively. So he's aware of what we're doing so that we can, can, can make great organic creative content, the studios and you know uh, networks realize the value of that that content and ours finally after so long you know we've been asking for them are giving us lots of money to make that type of content are hiring people and you know labeling departments transmedia and as soon as it reached that level of acceptance and 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 as soon as the transmedia age is here it was time to go on strike and say we got to get paid for it and that Makes a lot of sense and and is frustrating as well because we had so many great things that we were planning on doing this year and uh, we're excited about and now it's, it's not going to happen. We can't do it.
1: So yeah. as you say, it's in the DNA of the show, and I thought it would be interesting to look at an emblematic moment from Heroes, uh, if we can get the clip back up, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll look at this and talk about some of the things that are in the DNA of of the show how this stuff gets embedded in the program.
3: is in the library. No pay, no read. <laughs> hey, get
2: back
7: here! <laughs>
1: Clearly, one of the way, one reason I chose this clip is because of the presence of Eighth Wonder, the the comic, the comic book, in it, and the ways that that sort of teaches us how to think about heroes, as both a television show and a comics or transmedia phenomenon. Yeah, look, there it is, right there in the new the the, the graphic, graphic novel. So I wondered, you want to talk a little bit about Eighth Wonder's function in the show and how you thought about that that integration.
5: Uh you know uh ninth wonders is something oh, sure. that uh, dude how could you do that ninth <laughs> wonders how could i do that <laughs> uh you know was something that you know grew you know again it was kind of grew organically into something bigger than it was originally conceived to be um uh it you know it, it became a way for for us to convey these you know Im- images of the future to our characters and, and to our audience, you know, through uh, through, you know, comic book narrative, calling you know attention to the fact that the show is a comic book in many ways. Um, it also allowed us to create um, kind of a conceptual. I don't know. What, a lot of it is I don't really know what the words to describe these things. Is that you know when we use Ninth Wonders not only as a comic book within the show, that there's a character in the show last season, Isaac Mendez, he created that comic book, he had the power to paint the future. He painted this comic book that portrayed many of our characters doing things that they would end up doing, you know, in in, in the series, you know, the comic told told the future. We also used Ninth Wonders as a way to um, create a, a fan community for the show. Because we felt that the idea of Ninth Wonders was something that appealed to that very die hard you know core early adopter you know fan that we you know courted um, in the earliest days of the show and and you know the, one of the ways that, that we did that we, uh, we went to the San Diego comic con, which is i 'm not sure how many of you are familiar with that event it 's in San Diego. hundreds of thousands of comic book fans from around the world go to this event. And it has been used very well to launch uh, media properties. you know m- movies are promoted there, television is now promoted there, and uh, it's a gathering of people that that love comics, that love you know genre TV, and we felt that that they would love something like heroes. so we took uh, you know we took I think our whole cast. We took a a, a a very early cut of the pilot that had a completely different storyline, and we took it to that um, to the San Diego Comic Con and and showed it to the fans there and told them how you know excited we were about the show and wanted to share it with them, and that if they wanted to continue talking about the show, they could then go to a website called Ninth Wonders that we. When, you know, when I say we, it, it was generated internally on the show. We knew that we wanted to give the fans a place to go. And this was before there was really NBC.com, there was 360 initiative. We internally wanted to find a way to, to promote our show and create a space where the most important evangelical early adopter fans of the show could get together and start to build a community. And we used that Ninth Wonders brand to, uh, to, uh, to, to label that space. Um, Did I get off your question?
1: No, it's good. It's good. Jesus. Uh, So,
5: and uh, it's worked. Ninth Wonders has worked out well for us, and we've tried to use it, continue to use it this this year. But it's been challenging because we killed off Isaac Mendez, who was the character who who created that comic. Um, So we've been trying to find ways to 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 keep that keep that going. But the the Ninth Wonders brand is sort of a brand within heroes that is. You know something that is that we have made available to the most you know the most diehard fans who really support our show, who we care about very deeply, and we want to give them a a, a way that they can feel special and honored and participate in the experience in a way that that uh, that's just for them. Yeah, it's become
6: <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's good. Okay. It's, it's become you know, that's 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 the meaning. That's the 360 now meeting place for all of our fans. It's it's a, it's our message boards, and uh, you know, at once it, at one point it was sort of out there in this middle ground of gray area where it wasn't really NBC.coms and it wasn't really the shows. It was sort of in the middle, and we've sort
5: of it, 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 it's a, it's you know, and just it when a, I, it was, I
6: th- it's an education process, and, and I can't occurred. even
5: believe that we we're we, we really <laughs> were on the cutting edge of all this crap that's happening now because we. We created that website and that community for the show, and then after that, NBC.com is okay. We got to create, you know, a massive, you know, web community, and um, uh, and it was just that, you know, transitional, you know, very transitional moment where, you know, fan communities had been had not really been on the radar of uh, of you know big big conglomerates or the NBC.com NBCs of the world, and it was something that. We as creators of genre content knew intuitively it was important to get those fans involved and make them feel as if they were part of the show and give them special content and it, and it was just you know during the first year that, that that the networks really understood that that was an important audience that they needed to drive to their corporate sites so that they could find ways to measure those fans and you know get advertising money off those fans and
6: I mean, NBC, NBC hadn't had a booth, right, at a Comic-Con before Heroes started. And now they had a huge presence this year, and I think the, the, the upcoming year they're talking about getting a two-story booth. Uh. So,
1: so another, another piece of this clip that I think is interesting is the, the ways in which it evokes the global setting that Heroes is involved with. Here we have salaryman, otaku, Hero finding his way into Manhattan, and I always look at that moment as the reverse of Lost in Translation you know, with those big giant billboards and lost in translation. Suddenly you have the giant American billboards. This is a guy who spouts out anime references and Star Trek references side by side. And as he's running away in that scene, it's not American music we're listening to, it's Bangra. right? So that we're connecting him to Suresh uh, and through the music at that moment. If we look at the season, this season you've got Latin America, you've got, you've got Haiti, you've got... You've got Ireland, you've got uh, Canada, you're, you're, you're stitching together a global vision of this. And I'm wondering to what degree the global market of television, how how, that, how those calculations play into this. Is this, we see more accepting now of subtitled content on TV between Euros and Lost. Uh, but it's also must make those, the show more exportable in a certain way.
6: Completely, it's a, Heroes is a huge hit internationally already. I mean, we went, last April, we went out to uh, to France to the Jules Verne Festival, um, Tim Kring and Jeff Loeb, and myself, and we uh, and Zach Quinto who plays Syler, and the show hadn't even premiered in in France yet on television, and we packed the biggest movie theater in all of Europe with fans, and there was a line around the block, and I, I just took my camera and ran around the block and just did like an informal interview with as many fans as I could saying like how the hell have you seen the show and everyone would kind of look o- over their shoulder and say the internet <laughs> and we had just premiered I think episode 18 and so like people that we were our hosts were begging us for episode 19 now but it's because they had just already downloaded it the whole thing and uh we spoke this morning and you know Someone in the in the class earlier this morning was telling us how big Heroes is in Brazil. My sister's uh, boyfriend watches every single episode in Costa Rica already.
5: Um, it's pretty. It's pretty insane. And and that you know Tim you know Kring, who created the show created it from the best possible creative place you mm-hmm. possibly could come from. He had had he had done a show called Crossing Jordan that he'd worked very hard on for a long period of time. Um, I don't know if anyone here is familiar with that show, but it was a—it's a procedural. Um, you know, he, he had wanted to have more character in that show than there was. It, you know, it, the, the market just trended more towards procedural, and and he was—he was in a frustrated creative place, I think. And and he, you know, looked around him and looked at the world that he saw around him, and and he wanted to create some kind of content and narrative that was a positive and a hopeful force in that world. And, and he really was, was approaching it from uh, uh, trying to do a very hopeful vision and, and trying to come up with a way that, the, that a world could be united around these archetypes and that people who were separated from each other by region, nat- nationality, culture, could find something in common and find a way to come together and do something for, for the greater good. And uh, you know we've tried to uh, to 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 take that international, you know, incorporate that international component, you know, into the show as much as we can, and um, it's you know we would like to do it more than we have, and and it has proven challenging just from a from a budgetary standpoint, and and in terms of a production standpoint, to be able to flesh out our ensemble and flesh out our locations in a way that uh, allows us to travel, travel around the world. Um, and, and, which actually is w- one of the reasons that, that we created the Heroes Origins concept, um, which I don't know if people know about that at all, but, it, 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 I th- you know, we'll see if it comes back. It, it, it's been, you know, put on high hold because of the strike, but it, we created essentially an anthology show Um, that was based in the Heroes universe that would focus on characters who were not part of the Heroes serialized narrative. So that as storytellers it would allow us to tell very different types of stories that we can tell on Heroes. Heroes is now a slave to the serialization, the core mythology, the core characters, and it's very challenging to break out of those, break out of that format and Origins was going to allow us to tell stories about an aborigine in Australia, you know, a, a young comic book fan in France, uh, you know, and, and different types of characters, you know, all around the world. Um, and, and we, you know, that concept was very rapidly embraced by the international sales department and, you know, that show, even though it doesn't exist, uh, has been sold for its <laughs> lifetime. To, to the international market because they understand the, the value of that type of storytelling. Um, and, uh, and it's something we want to do more of.
1: So another dimension of the hero storyline is the casting of George Takei as his father, which is sort of characteristic of a series which has brought in characters from actors from Star Trek, from Doctor Who, from Veronica Mars. Can you tell us a little bit about the thinking behind the sort of cult casting from, of people from other cult media? How does, that, how does that factor into the writing side? As you conceive characters for, say, Nicole Nichols, you surely can't escape the legacy of, uh, of Star Trek as, as you think about how to, how to script that character.
6: Well, it's always beneficial, I think, when you, when you cast people from other culturally popular shows that have a built-in cult following because you have that fan community that already knows how to communicate with one another. So... If you put in someone like Veronica, you know, Kristen Bell from Veronica Mars in our show, there's a huge fan base for that character and that television show that was really powerful online. And they can start talking instantly about that. And that creates incredible buzz that brings her in. Plus, she's, you know, just an incredible
5: actress. And the fact that we got her was an awesome coup that was owed to. Yeah, it was huge, dude. Do you want to talk Uh, about that? I do. And that, you know, that's one of those things. That Heroes is created by people that love this type of entertainment. That are we're fans of this kind of thing. Nichelle Nichols, like you got to be kidding me that she's on our show is is just the greatest thing ever, and and none of, none of those choices. <clears throat> excuse me, were, were premeditated choices. George um, George Takei came into a casting session, and it was, oh my god, that's George Takei. Can we put him on the show? We like looked around at each other, like "fuck yeah, we can put him on our show, (laughs) absolutely." Uh, and, And you know that was we just took a step. You know that was one of those things. Like we crossed that that line that you know that that took us, you know, took the show tonally. I think into a very interesting interesting direction. And you know, Nichelle Nichols was you know again grew organically out of you know, based on that we had made that choice with George, the fact that she was available, that then we could incorporate her into a storyline. The Veronica Mars thing with Kristen Bell Amazing. came out of the fact that we, you know, we took the train down to Comic Con and um, Joe Pekaski, who's one of our, you know, incredibly, you know, critical writers on our show, is a huge fan of hers and rode back from San Diego to Los Angeles sitting next to her on the train. And just talk to her because he loves her; he's a huge <laughs> fan of hers. And he came back and he said, "We should get Kristen Bell on the show." I was talking to her, and she said she would do it. We're like, "What? <laughs> oh my god, absolutely!" <laughs> and we, you know, went after her. And they, these choices have come very organically, and 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 <laughs> and, you know, feel that they they, you know, they you know, we've kind of been given these gifts. You know, C- Kristen Bell, in a in a lot of ways. Gave us such an amazing positive message, you know, the, this season too. And as I'm sure you guys know, because you're critical media studies or wh- whatever it is, that the way that, <laughs> entertainment, the way that Entertainment Weekly, the way that People Magazine, the way that the New York Times, the way that those magazines talk about a franchise, just completely alters the perception within, you know, not only the fan community and but but within the executives, uh, uh, who. You know are in, oh my God, I can't say anything bad. the executives who have who they're because they are very busy with their with you know so many things that they have to do <laughs> that their that their exposure to one of their shows may be easily influenced by you know or or and not oh my god the the, the perception that an executive may have about a show could be based on an Entertainment Weekly piece. And the fact that we allowed Kristen Bell, who is very popular within the Entertainment Weekly, People Magazine, online, geek media, um, allowed us to have a positive message that was a great counterbalance for some of the negative press that that we have been receiving this year.
1: Right. Well, I'm monopolizing time, but I want to open open it up to the floor now and see if people in the audience have have questions. If you can line up by the mics on either side, it will facilitate uh, getting questions. uh, Since this is podcast after the fact, we want to make sure your voice gets preserved for posterity.
5: And, and please be candid. And please don't hesitate to be harsh with with this. And we want to make sure that we answer your questions and, and give you the information that you want. So if,
1: and if I can ask for people to uh, identify yourself, if you're
8: willing to, it would be helpful, just for the record. So go ahead. Uh, hi, my name is JP. I'm a senior here at MIT. Uh, first off, great show. I, I really enjoy it. Um, I was just curious, to see if, uh, curious if you could talk a little bit about the balance uh, between planning out like a storyline and then like adjusting it based on the response you get from the fans and things like that. Uh,
5: It's, you know, um, something I talked a little bit about in Henry's class this morning. And it's very challenging just the way that the production schedule works in terms of how far ahead we are making the TV show. You know, we were on episode this year. We were on episode... Ten maybe, or you know, we were pretty far down the road when the first episodes of this series, this season, hit, and we started to get some you know negative response to certain elements in the show, and we you know could not course correct in in, in any way that would have been effective in in um, uh, adjusting adjusting to the to the fan concerns. Um, so in a very immediate, real-time way, it's challenging to, to, to find a way to, to take what the fans have and put it, in, put it into use. Certainly in a, in a larger way, in a more overall way, you know, we on the show monitor all the fan boards and track the way that fans are reacting to storylines, what they're talking about, um, what they like and what they don't like, and, and try to find ways that in the long term we can incorporate the things that we believe are salient in their their discussions. You know, w- one of the things that that we found, and that I've found on you know Alias and and Lost, these the shows that had a very vocal fan community with a lot of boards, and I would go to the boards often to see what people were saying. The, your your biggest fan, who loves your show like crazy, who evan- you know is evangelical about your show, will tell everybody about your show will write online, this is the worst fucking show ever. I can't believe they're so stupid. Why would they do this? You know, I hate this. And on an emotional level, that's damaging. You know, I don't want it's like it's like, you know, I'm like, I feel terrible. I was trying to do something really good and, and they don't like it. And, and and also the way that they the, the way that an audience reacts to um, a character or storylines they could be having a very negative reaction to something in the moment that might be exactly what you need or what you want to drive uh, to drive them to have, to enjoy an amazing reveal that's that's upcoming or enjoy two characters coming together. Um, so it, it's it's another filter that we have to apply to it, it is what the fan is what this fan is saying about how they feel about the show what they really want or what they really need to have the best experience. Um, And, you know, it's such a new thing in terms of how you look at fan communities and what they say about your franchise and how you can glean the most important information out of that communities and how you can get the most out of it. And we're still trying to figure out how to do it and and, and yet we're incredibly supportive Supportive of those fan communities and trying to make sure that we build spaces for the fans that we give fans uh, that we let fans know that they're being heard that we give them pipelines to the show whether it's through Q;A's you know on the on the web that, that we think it's very important that you engage engage the fan community and sh- let them know how much you appreciate the fact that they love your show and the and that they care about your show but in terms of them they're Criticism or even their positive reactions being something that we can implement—it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's impossible to do it on a on a really un- on a timely basis.
1: Okay, so I'm going to take a couple more questions over here and then start alternating because there were a bunch of people clustered here first. Uh, so go ahead over there.
7: Hi, my name is uh, Nina Huntman, and I'm a professor of this media studies stuff on the other side of the water at Suffolk University. Um, First of all, thank you. I enjoy the show as well. And I have an idea for you. But that's not my question. I have a real question too. Um, <laughs> I think that Isaac Mendez's ninth wonders proofs that never made it to the publisher should somehow go back in time. And then in the present, some character can find them in the basement, like finding the first issue of Batman. And, and if you guys work that in, I won't ask any royalties from the WGA.
5: <laughs> we actually, I think, we did talk about uh, a story that uh, that where, where we were going to going to do something like that, where that they were going to be found found in the in the future again. And and we know that those that the that, that, that that's out there, and that's something that we want to bring back to the show. And again, I, I I guess I'm just revealing a lot about the process, but often you know we will do something like that there, so that this character uh, you know created these you know who could see the future created these sketches we had a moment where he gave his sketchbook to a fan of his and that fan took this sketchbook that could potentially be loaded with tons of information about the show and where it's going and just went off with it so we know that's out that that is out there and that it's something that we can then incorporate into our storytelling in the future when we figure out a way that it will be most effective and most you know rewarding and and, and often we will and it's a balance of of leaving things hanging like that where you don't exactly know the answer. Like you know, the bad version that we used to do on Alias was a character would open up a letter and look at the letter and just, oh, and then close it up. And we have no idea what, he, what it said in the letter. You know, And then we would never, we'd never even go back to it. But uh, that type of device can be used very effectively, um, as long as it's balanced with, with good reveals. What the hell did that have to do with your question? I right? didn't ask it yet.
7: Sorry. Dude.
5: Again, I, I'm yes. happy to.
1: So this is flash forward and
5: flash backwards that we're seeing
7: here. Uh, thank you. Um, my question is, is for both of you. I, it's an overarching question, which is, does it work? And and for, for Jesse, it is um, the transmedia storytelling is very new for television, clearly. It's a new idea. Uh, Any indication so far that it works, and I mean does it work from the economic perspective? The pressure that you uniquely, as both a writer and a producer, have to deal with, uh, that you mentioned at the beginning is, yes, you need to make the show good so people want to watch it, but also it has to be um, lucrative. (laughs) And so I'm wondering if it's working. And Mark, same question. The things that you're doing online and in all the other venues. As far as you know, is it working from an economic perspective? Are the advertisers happy? Are they coming back? Is the network happy um, fiscally? Uh,
5: I'll let Mark speak to it, but the answer is absolutely. That it's incredibly successful and, and it's, in, it's very, very lucrative and, and uh, and, it, it, and is clearly for them uh, a, a new revenue stream and a new model for, for a whole other layer and component of production on TV shows that they, that they can start creating. But Mark deals with that stuff on a day-to-day basis.
6: Yeah, I think that just the fact that we have a department now that they actually fund and we have a budget now that they actually get to continue to create Which is huge.
5: The idea that these companies will allocate money or create a, a new department you know, that has human resources involved and lawyers involved and all that type of thing is monumental. It's insane. It's, it's something that I,
6: I never thought we'd actually get to that day, but we're there. And it's because, you know, tracking back six, seven years, just like Jesse was saying, how, you know, they went out, we went out and made little websites and hope people came. And now the fact that, like, it's required, they're, they're demanding it, and and advertisers are asking for it, That the need is there. And we... You know, there's there's definitely a need that's been created, and we're delivering because you can actually see that there are advertisers that keep continue to come back to the table each year. Like Sprint is is a multiple advertiser. We we worked with them on Smallville. Uh, They're they're back on Smallville now. They're a, a heavy partner with with Heroes right now this year. So. Uh, the car companies, you know, Nissan and Toyota are definitely
5: big parts. And you should speak to the webisode sponsorship as well, which is pretty spectacular. In the, in the way that that you know uh, that you know Nissan potentially or Sprint or someone like that would pay for the creation of a webisode series. And, the, and that would be no money that would be allocated from, by the studio. The studio wouldn't have to lay out any new money for that. It would be something that was paid by this outside source. And yet, the studio would, would own that content and would be able to exploit it uh, in, in many different ways. Which is a shift that we saw.
6: And when that happened, you know, we really, it A, it gave us larger budgets to play with, which, a, which, B, brought in a lot more fans. And so each thing kind of fed on top of one another. And so when the studios see the model and say, wow, we didn't have to lay out a dime really for this, uh, but we get to put it on DVDs and we get to continue to drive more traffic to our websites,
5: uh, that's a damn good model. So we'll keep going with that one as long as we can. And there's still a massive disconnect, you know, in terms of when that website, when, when the internet content, <laughs> transmedia content is rolled out, you know, it, 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 it's not accessible to an international audience. Uh, in, a, in a timely fashion, which I think is a very miss, a missed opportunity, and just in terms of the way that these deals are crafted, you know, content that is created by created for the BBC exists, you know, in, in a BBC world the same way that content for NBC.com is pretty much exclusive, I think, to uh, to North America in many ways, and and that's one of those models that they have not begun to crack yet, and and. and, and Go ahead. Yeah,
6: we're we're we've been working, you know, the the beauty of having a department like we have and just the thinking that I think heroes in general from Tim Cream and Dennis Hammer and Jesse Alexander and Jeff Lowe on down have is that we we want to be a part of all that. In the in in past, you know, you'll sell a license to someone and they'll go off and and just take take your your IP and really play around with it and, and it it isn't your canon and it doesn't seem right. So what jesse and i we've we've done we work with the interactive division at, at universal we did a you know we did a, a a mobile game and we make sure the writers on the show literally help rewrite the mobile game to make sure that it hits our continuity we're doing um a novel that's going to be released with with a division of Random House and that tells like the the 6 months gap between when, uh, when Hero and Charlie had their romance. It's going to be released sometime around Christmas, and that was written with the writers of the show. And we want to make sure at all times that, stuff, that, that our stories stay on point and that everything is canon, because otherwise it, it, it really diminishes the value of, of, of the brand in general. So we're really cognizant of that, and that's something that Tim came in, I think, from the very beginning and said, we're building a brand here. And luckily Universal and NBC have, no, have recognized
5: that, but at the same time... Um, it's a new paradigm for them, and it's very challenging for them because they used to have, like, okay, we have a property. Let's exploit it. Let's go sell Curious George dolls or Scarface posters or whatever it would be. We're going to put
6: Hiro Nakamura on, bread, on on white bread in Mexico.
5: <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not kidding. That was actually offered to us. And we... Uh, we uh, um, and that's a disaster. We cannot let that shit happen with something like this, because as we all know, as soon as your brand looks like it's selling out, you can just crash and burn. And uh, it's very important that we make sure that with all this new potential revenue coming in for internet exploitation and then again for ancillary licensed exploitation in terms of merchandise, that there is oversight by the team on the show to make sure it has value and has the, you know, kind of hero stamp of approval. And just to go back to your point, you know, I'm obsessed with the fact that Heroes was so popular around the world because people were, you know, seeing it on BitTorrent, and yet there was no way that they could. NBC didn't have any system that could drive that audience to .com. Could 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 you know? get those fans more invested in the franchise on, online and, and I think that is such a missing component and, and, and you know those deals have to be figured out so that can be incorporated. There, there,
6: there's a great, sorry, there's a great game that was created by the BBC for the online launch, of for the for the UK launch of Heroes. I don't know if, if you actually seen it or not but we worked with the people that actually you know developed that game and the content was incredible and we wanted, you know, we, we want our fans in, in America to get that content. You know, it's, 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 it's that good and that rich, and it, it fits in with our continuity. So the, it's, it's a big problem that needs to really be thought through by all the people involved, all the stakeholders, is that you know, those people in France, Costa Rica, Brazil, Bhutan, who are seeing the show on BitTorrent, all at the same exact time, we need to start thinking of television from a global perspective when they release Harry Potter around the world or Matrix around the world day in day, television's actually gonna have to start thinking that way. And so um, that'll help us also tell a lot better stories in the future. I but
1: tell so we're about to go into, the, David reminds me, and I was about to say it myself, we're about to go into what we call lightning round, which is to say I want each questioner to ask something fairly tight, and for our speakers to be fairly tight, because I want to make, try to get as many of these people in Sorry. For, before seven as possible. So just, so, just tell us to shut up if we're talking too much. So, we're, love the depth, where we probably want to do tight on both directions. So one more guy over here, and then I'm going to go to you. And then we'll be back and forth from there. So go ahead, sir. Uh,
4: James Croft, I study the arts and education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Um, Heroes as a TV series on its own is already extremely complex in terms of narrative with many central characters and going back and forth in time. And as you expand into other media, you're inevitably going to hit into problems of maintaining narrative and character consistency across all the different things that you're doing. So I'm wondering how, as writers, you approach that problem, and whether there's any particular techniques you use to track all the things you've done in all the different media, so that you don't make mistakes with your continuity or make characters do things that they wouldn't do, and stuff like that.
6: Stay up really late at night, and drink lots of coffee, so you can read all that stuff that's
5: going out. <laughs> and we also, I mean, we have we have a series bible that's been kind of right, and, and and you know, we still and everything you're saying is correct, and we're still living in denial about it. And still believing that we can continue to push this and execute this and, and that we can handle it uh, and, and um, hopefully we'll be able to, to pull it off and we've done a pretty good job of it but uh, it's a challenge and in terms of when, when we create backstory for the show or, or, or online content we try to make sure that it is relatively closed off in a way that it will exist episodically and and won't be potentially a dangling thread that could and could get screwed up. Um, and certainly when it affects our major characters on the show, that it gets vetted in, in a very specific way. And you know we try to with our Hannah Gittleman character, we try to create characters that are specifically for that online experience that can have a much you know more in depth uh, presence on the web and in the ancillary content.
1: Thanks for your Thank patience, you. sir, and
8: over here. Uh, no problem. Hey, uh, my name is Usman. I'm a senior in uh, electrical engineering and computer science here. Um, I love the show, and I recognize the importance of transmedia and an almost infinitely expandable uh, universe where backstories can be thrown all all over the place in any kind of medium. And uh, it worked very well for, for example, The Matrix, and I think it's very obvious almost now, to see it used in such a way um, on TV series. But my question is that, um, uh, is there, like, how how common or feasible economically and culturally is it to ever see a show that's conceived, like the entire story, the beginning and the very end of the story conceived from the beginning, even though um, I guess for television um, it's kind of different because you don't know if you're going to make it past a season, past a pilot and um, I know a lot of American TV shows just continue season after season just until it gets cancelled or bad. Well it
5: depends what kind of show it is and you know something like Lost we actually you know we broke okay this is in the broadest strokes. These are what five years of this show could be. These are the tent poles, these are the ends of the seasons, this is what the content could be and this is the finale. So that there was a sense of something that was graspable, something that wasn't just this abyss of potential, that, so that there was, uh, was a sense of where it could go. And I think something like that is incredibly important for a show like Lost, where it really is about the mystery of where are they. Something like A Hero's, a lot of it, it, most of it, every all of it is about the characters and what are the characters going to do in the, in the world and how are they going to experience life and what choices are they going to make. And, and a show like that really has you know, for me, as long as it stays creatively fresh, you know, can run for a long time. So it doesn't have necessarily an end built into the idea, but where something like A Lost absolutely does. Thank you. Okay, over
8: here.
4: Hi, I'm Nikki. I'm a senior here at MIT. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk some about how there are separate storylines for all the characters, at least towards the beginning of the seasons, and are you ever tempted to just have different writers write those and then kind of piece them together? That's what we do. Okay. And also, uh, you mentioned you knew you might be able to get Kristen Bell. Was the fact that her power on heroes is basically a built-in taser, which was very popular with her and Veronica Mars on purpose, or a happy coincidence? It was a
5: coincidence. We, we actually...
7: Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>
5: We potentially had we had another actress playing that part, uh, and had shot scenes with another actress in in that part, and then Kristen Bell became available to us, and we just plugged her into that, rewrote everything for that character, and expanded who that character was. So so that's the way we got got there. Um, and, and for your other question, uh, Heroes is written in a very um, in a, in a unique fashion and uh, a way that you know came out of a lot of Tim Krang's ideas about how best to to write serials and be creative came a lot out of my experiences on Alias and Lost. All the writers on the show break the stories together in a room, there's about ten of us so we all are incredibly collaborative in how we break the stories. We uh, we will then, we'll break about three three episodes worth of content and then we will have one writer or one team write the cheerleader story or the Matt Parkman story for those three episodes that allows us to generate scripts very very quickly so that you can so that we can then see what works and what doesn't work and we can adjust continuity and mythology um, and, and you know certainly last year contributed to I think the quality of you know the way that the, that season held holds together narratively. Uh, that That type of writing Involves every single member of the staff in every episode keeps them invested, keeps them you know up on um, on the content um, and and in in terms of a serial um, and something as mythologically heavy as heroes time is our is our enemy and and we need to get as far ahead as we possibly can so we can change so that we can rewrite those scripts and so that you know on alias we would break episodes. Uh, on the first day of pre-production of an episode, which meant that that episode would then be filmed in eight days. We didn't then know what the episode that was going to come after that was. That was very, very challenging creatively, and and I think often we, we would write ourselves into corners. It would prevent the, the, the stories from being as good as they possibly could be. So we have this new collaborative approach to writing on the show. Uh, uh, and a lot of that is, you know, stuff that I've taken from the way video games are are made in terms of the way teams work together and iterate on ideas and do rapid prototyping to see what's working and see what isn't working. Um, and a lot of other shows have tried to emulate that model. Uh, it's unclear if they can. Heroes is, might be uniquely positioned with the ensemble um, to be able to sustain something like that.
3: Okay, over here. Hi. Oh. I'm Enver Thorburn. I'm a recent uh, graduate journalism at U of I. Um, I caught up on the show by watching, season two, by watching on Mojo. So I was curious about the syndication deal, how that worked. Did that just go on between NBC and Mojo? But my main question is, you know, you say that you're committed to the fans and you're also committed to characters and, you know, heroes uh, from, the, from its beginning. It's been multiple characters. And, you've also said that you've had regrets over killing off some characters, uh, Isaac Mendez, maybe. I do
5: not regret killing off Isaac. I didn't say that. Well, I, I, said, I said we did kill off Isaac. I didn't say I regretted well, it.
3: Well, certainly some of the fans, you know, are clamoring for characters like that to be brought back. And then you add new characters in season two and, um, you know, characters like Monica and Maya. and Not that there's anything wrong with it. I enjoy their stories. But it means that there might be less time available for some of the more popular characters. So how do you
5: Absolutely. And that that is that's a great point and it and it's it, you know, it's something that, you know, Tim when he created the show really wanted to make sure that it that it would be the kind of with an ensemble show that certain characters could die, that certain char- that that it would help you establish the stakes of this world. That those characters could go away so that it added a threat level to to the, to the show. Um, and the as great as that is in theory and concept, the reality of the way fans attach to characters is is potentially antithetical to that idea, and precludes you from you know making those aggressive choices in terms of, of killing killing characters off. Um, we'll see how people you know how how people respond to where we go with the rest of this season. We have some you know cataclysmic things coming up with, with that. Um, and in terms of uh what was the other part of your question it was it was smart. Mojo.
3: mojo, you know have viewers been
5: able to catch up to the show you know you might i don't I have no idea the there's there's, yes. there's mojo and we're also on yeah. the on g four yeah uh, G4. you you caught up on mojo mm-hmm. that's amazing i
6: I awesome. didn't even know about that yeah they, were, they were running so. like uh, they were running marathons yeah. oh, right, I know what mar- I want marathons.
5: to say <laughs> the introduction of new characters that's another thing that we potentially did that in the wrong, we did that in a certain way with certain characters this year that may not have been the best way to go. Some new characters we introduced this year I thought we did effectively, other characters potentially the twins, you know, um, uh, Maya and Alejandro, we might have not introduced them in the best way. And, And I think we learned a lot of lessons last year that we should have known and, and this year about the best way to introduce new, new characters. Kristen Bell is someone who we introduced her in a fantastic way, I think. We introduced her in, 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 in small bites. She was very clearly incorporated into the main narrative of the show. She was kind of archetypal in, in, in many ways so that the fans weren't forced to emotionally connect with that person when they first first met her. And it allowed you to get to know her and, and something like that is much easier to do with a villain and it certainly worked for us when we introduced Siler last year.
3: So as writers you prefer that ensemble approach as to like the episodic thing that you in Lost where you're dealing with one main character, it enables you to that's deal just with continuity es- easier?
5: Uh, I don't know if that's true but that's just that's just what Heroes is. Heroes is what Tim Crane likes to call kind of haiku storytelling, mosaic storytelling where you're going to get pieces of this ensemble and it's another you know it's an approach that kind of Lost has pioneered in a lot of ways and is probably something that soap operas know is that you we set up the characters on our show to appeal to everybody who's watching it. So when there's a family watching Heroes, everybody on that couch can hopefully find something in that show that they care about. They can care about the cheerleader, they can care about Matt Parkman, they can care about Nikki Sanders, that they can find something in the show that they like and hopefully they will watch the stuff that they don't like to get to the stuff that they do like. Um, and. and it, it's uh, it's an it's a challenge for us absolutely okay. over Thanks. here
2: um my name's Aaron i'm one of the research managers at comparative media studies and um, my question is is um, I see on your fan site that we all want to create our own hero. There's an opportunity to create our own hero, and I was wondering if that related anything to what you said about how if once you create a hero as part of the Writers Guild, you get every time that's on, you get a, a cent or some or broken down a hundred million times, I'm sure. Um, how will that affect uh, the the strategy, the revenue models as you get more with the transmedia allowing user generated? Uh, content and participation in these communities to affect how the characters start uh, new characters are introduced.
6: That's that's a great question that no one has an answer to. The the sprint thing, there's no way. Like that that, the, that, the that visuals was
1: an, of the other screen up.
6: That that was an idea that came about before the strike. Now that the strikes occurred, it's going to be an interesting
5: fun problem to figure out. And for, you know, Mark and I, you know, love the idea of fans being able to create heroes and to create stories and and we want to create spaces where they can do that and and in a way that will impact the narrative of the show. So w- with something that's potentially as absurd as a cell phone contest where you point and click to create a character, we are approaching that as if it w- will be part of canon of our, of the mythology of our show. We will, you know, Build comic books around that character. If it, if it, a webisode series around that character, if the character is strong, enough, we will then fold them into the show. In terms of how fans get compensated for that work, they won't even compensate the people who work for them for that for it's that like work. It's like combining so,
2: reality TV with this. They like get star for 15 minutes. And
5: you know, and that's hard. that's an interesting point. We talked about it in the class a little bit this morning. Is that absolutely we as creators of the show will find we'll find ways to show our appreciation to those fans. On Alias, we used to give shout outs to some of our best, you know, biggest fans by incorporating their names into the shows, There, you know, we would kind of encode secret messages for those diehard fans. And, And in a way that, um, the way that the mod community is appreciated in the video game world, when you cre- would create them you know this k- kids who just created Portal, this this amazing video game they created in their video game college, and then they took it to Gabe Newell and Valve, you know, who make a game called Half Life, and you know, then they you know were brought on board and given jobs, you know, working working on that sh- uh, for that company, uh, and that's something that we would absolutely be open to.
6: And we do it already in the comic books. We've definitely put like everyone's handles in on, right. in the comic books and. We've seen what fans do with that. And on Smallville, we did it all the time. We always were catering to our fans who, who really helped out. And we have some fans who became interns, who went on to have jobs. And you know guys that have made whole careers out of being fans.
9: So. Oh, over here. Um, hey, guys. Josh Diaz, CMS grad student, first year. Um, putting together that, some of that last question and some of what you said earlier, you, you've made uh, uh, Advances with the network in saying you need to protect the hero's brand, Uh, working in the the beyond just the show where heroes appears and making sure that the characters are true to the visions and what the story should be about. Um, With like the create your own hero program, this it's really exciting, but it's still a a very narrow template that you can fit things to. How do you guys deal with a a possible tension between fans who'd go and Create their own works that broke the that broke the hero's narrative that told stories that wouldn't be appropriate for the television show. Is that something you're afraid of? Would you not want the network to find out? Is that spooky at all? Or? I love
5: that stuff, and that's I think awesome, yeah. we're obsessed. We think that's the greatest shit ever. If your fans love your content so much that they're willing to generate content of their own around around that, that's fantastic, uh, and, and we couldn't be more excited about that. Um, uh, and, and we hope that you know that heroes, you know that people, heroes fans create fan fiction, create any any type of content that they want that's that's ba- that's based around the property, and yet they don't generate any revenue for themselves based on the exploitation of that property. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly
1: more, no more than four cents. Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> is, 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 is
9: there we may a, offer that model, actually. Just a small follow-up. Is, is there a fear that the network wouldn't be as understanding? Would they not be as concerned? Could you argue that it was still a
5: I thing? I think the network's pretty savvy about that. You know, what's great, you talk about it in convergence culture and you know, we're lucky that we're hitting at a point where a lot of people have made mistakes in this space. The way that Lucasfilm handled this stuff, the way that the Harry Potter franchise handled this stuff—you know—that Henry talks about in convergence culture—so that people know that you do not want to crack down on your fan community. My God, you do, it's you know, learning. Want to, what's that?
9: Uh, my, the, the the companies are learning. That's
5: yeah, good absolutely. That it's a good thing, not a bad thing, and it's not a threat. It actually shows that your brand has legs and is sustainable and, and has a core base that cares about it.
1: Okay, over
4: here. Um, Hi, Uh, I'm Faris. I'm not at MIT. I'm over from London, and I kind of just wandered in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I find find it, I mean, I think it's really interesting of how the conceit of heroes enables it to be such a sort of blurry narrative, because it's sort of rooted in in the real world, and the sort of transmedia expansion of it, and the ARG elements, and the sort of incorporation of co-creation parts continue how that blurring sort of works between the core narrative of the film and kind of reality, and there's sort of, that gap is sort of closing. I just wondered if you'd thought about incorporating or how you think about that expansion might work and how you can tell stories outside of the film in other media in other forms that are now able to have these more immersive kind of controlled experiences of kind of what is essentially products of film, but then expand outwards, I suppose.
6: I think that's what we're constantly working on every single day. It's like, how, how can we continue to tell these stories in the transmedia space and actually bring it, you know, we have hardcore fans and, and they love this stuff, but something Jesse and I talk about constantly is how, how can we continue to, to expand the transmedia stuff to a much broader audience, and we're, we're always thinking of ways to do that. And
5: We're obsessed with doing, you know, an ARG that you know, an alternate reality game, probably most of you guys are familiar with something like that, that, that really appeals to a broad audience as opposed to a core audience. There was something that, that was done called the Lost Experience, you know, a million dollars worth of advertising money that, you know, got behind uh, you know, a web content-based experience based, you know, kind of scavenger hunt based around the world of Lost, uh, that did ha- that was so hard and and complex that it had very limited people participating in it. Uh, and, and one could argue potentially was not worth doing. But it was worth doing in that it was innovative and it showed you what could be done and, and, and Mark and I are, are struggling to find a way that that we can, you know, can, can broaden that ARG experience um, it is one of the things that we're trying to do, and, and we you know for that we need money. You know we need to hire for something like that. We, we need to hire the Jane McGonagall's of the world. We need to hire the you know Elon Lees or whoever <laughs> in the world to you know. Going to give
1: you sixty DVDs worth of money here. It's
5: fantastic, <laughs> thank you. We're on our way. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and, and we've talked about doing you know avatar based web communities. We've talked about you know. We created an episode called five years uh, Five Years Gone. We did last season where the characters went into the future, and it was a world where superheroes were out in the open. Um, one of the reasons there are many reasons we did that episode. One of them was to have a space to exploit in video games that was a, a version of heroes that was much that was readily uh, accessible to video game gameplay. And and, you know, so we're constantly thinking. We don't stop thinking about this. Yeah,
6: and it's 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 very it's an interesting thing that we we also we we, when we talk to NBC.com and and the various stakeholders, it's like let's have something that one week it's let's have something that grandmas in New Jersey can access, and in the same breath, in the same meaning they're like, oh, we gotta get something cool for the hardcore fans, and it has to be in the same thing. So it's very interesting. They were trying to weave these two things together and try to find something in the middle of the road. And we've definitely, we took steps this year to actually make it episodic, where each week you had something that sort of complemented that particular episode. Um, And I think just in transmedia states, you know, you have the comic book. That is a simple thing that you can continue to follow each week, week in and week out. And just this sort of more ARG style thing. We've always said, although people have called it ARG, we've never even had an ARG. We've told an... Interactive story that complements the show to this point. To have an ARG uh, like the the, the show of fallen, which won an Emmy this year, they had a team of a hundred people dedicated to that uh, to that project. Which, if we had a hundred people dedicated to a Forget hero's it. HRG, ARG,
5: it would be insane. It'd be the greatest shit ever, ever, ever. Uh, Another thing that is sort of on point with what you're saying is that the tech is changing so rapidly and the ways that we can tell stories is changing that, you know, six months ago, the the way to do, the kind of accepted way to do an avatar-based web community was, you know, use 3D graphics engines that had been designed for video games. Well the more I look at it, the more I realize that is absolutely the wrong way to do it, and that you need to do something that's more flash-based, something like Habbo or, you know, Habo Hotel, some, something like that that is more accessible to a broader audience and works on multiple platforms. Um, and, and we're constantly struggling with, you know, is a tech ready to be exploited for our, our storytelling?
1: Right. Um, David. Um,
0: I want to introduce a note of skepticism, partly because this love-in has been very instructive, but clearly there are certain kinds of questions that might arise in people's minds, even from the discourse that you folks have given us today. And I want to mention one or two of them, just to ask you ask you very quickly to respond. My, my first broad, uh, Question: I'd like to leave for you to answer second, which is, I'd like both of you to talk about your reservations, uh, uh, about ab- about the whole process, about the scale of the operation, about the way it's grown so quickly, about the proliferation of platforms in which you're telling stories. In other words, what are your reservations about this, or what are the dangers or difficulties of this process? That's the second question. The first question tries to concretize that. There's a, uh, One of the most fundamental ways in which people who Study narrative and learn about both visual and print forms. Uh, uh, proceed is to recognize that each particular platform has certain unique qualities. You don't. A movie should not look like a television program. A television series should not look like a comic book. A comic book should not look like a story that comes over your telephone, over your, over your iPod. You guys are talking about this stuff as if as if it's all one narrative that there's no problem about moving from medium to medium. The history of television is, until about 1965 is a history of figuring out what it means to make stories on the small screen, what it means to tell stories that have to be interrupted every 12 minutes, what it means to use a close-up on this reduced visual scale. You folks are talking about it. Uh, you, you folks are acting as if these are not significant questions and that you can jump to a comic book and jump to a webisode and jump to a, uh, to a, print, to a graphic novel with relative ease. and I, That, and tr- I, I, that I, seems I, very troubling from an artistic standpoint, well, to put it, it mildly. You, you should
5: know that it, that, um, it actually, we are, t- we, and you know this for me personally comes from my experience uh, working in video games. Uh, the first first jobs I had were writing video games and I'm continuing to be involved in the game space and and I'm also a video game player. So I know video games are all about the gameplay. It's not about the freaking story that you stick on, stick on on top of a game. So that model for me is something that has shaped the way I look at transmedia storytelling. So I know that every medium has specific ways that people access it that has specific requirements and has specific needs. So we you know we're talking about it very broadly but we're absolutely approaching every medium in a, a, a as its own unique entity and that that comes from the fact that um comes from my personal experience you know learning those lessons in in, in game narrative and in terms of the way that you know the the other people like mark and, and you know create content create content for the show um yeah jesse's
6: been a huge proponent of that that you have to make sure that we're taking advantage of the medium that we're working in. So we're very cognizant of that in, in everything that we do. And we, we say this and we we talk general and broad because right. it's still the story. It doesn't matter where right. you go, we're still telling the hero's story. We then cater that story to whatever medium that we have and we're learning. And that's what's so awesome about right now. Like this is the time where we can completely experiment. There's very little things that have been, you know, there's very few templates that have been created that we have to mold ourselves into. It's, it's a wild west right now. And we're having a great time figuring out new ways. Some things completely work. Some things totally fall flat on their face and we
5: scrap them. But, um, and we've been, I think, very successful in the way we've exploited our content in, on uh, uh, different media platforms. The area where it has been more challenging for us is our core model of serialized narrative. That is a fucking bear. And to figure out how to, how to do that effectively for for a broadcast audience is so challenging and it's something that we're constantly iterating on and constantly trying to figure out how to balance serial with episodic content. Um, And and that's something that that we struggle with on on a daily basis and and is such a That's our core business. Well,
0: my suggestion for that would be go back and look at older television. It isn't the case that television was episodic until was only episodic until yesterday. Hill Street Blues solved that problem in very brilliant ways.
5: But Hill Street Blues, in in, you're absolutely correct. But Hill Street Blues had a very clear franchise. Hill Street Blues had a very clear cop franchise. You, there was a crime at the beginning of every week. You would, you would, you would solve. It does. You would, you would solve that crime, and, and you would you, your characters would your characters would be serialized in in, in a in a very light general that's, way. That's, inaccurate. that's they inaccurate. They wouldn't be arc. They wouldn't be There were, be there were actually in, in stories. That, there were
0: actually some story arcs that would run over six, seven, eight weeks. They didn't. They didn't. And there were also some stories that would conclude within each episode. And that's why I said exactly. I but thought that's it's a good that's model. A, there's a bound, and there was, It un- understood it understood the problem that you're talking about in very creative ways, and I, I could cite other programs like that. I I simply meant to. Suggest that it's a simplification to imagine that the problem you're confronting is is one that belongs to the 21st century. I mean, uh, television programs were confronting this problem in the late 60s, and there are a series of shows, both comedies and uh, narrative dramas, that deal in very interesting ways with exactly the issues that you're talking about. How do you keep the continuity of things going, but also find some way of creating a story that is satisfying within its hour?
5: You're absolutely correct. And and uh, that and, and there are some unique challenges at, at, because the media space is so fractured. Because television is now told in six acts. We have to fucking tell our episode in six acts. 42 minutes of content broken up into six acts and, and is, a, is a very unique challenge for us. And certainly, especially when you're dealing with a genre property, in, in terms of building in an understandable franchise on a weekly basis of the lawyer has a case that he has to solve. The cop has a case that he has to solve. That, that's very challenging for us. And you're right about Hill Street Blues, but you're forgetting that it's a precinct that was full of different cops. So there's an A and a B and a C story. And your I do a understand story, your point, Jess, And your yeah. A may be serialized, but your, but your B may be episodic. So it, it, it's, it's a, it's a you know, tremendous balance for us. Especially, it's, a, it's very complicated for us, especially in the genre space
1: okay we're I, we're running really tight on time so let me get these last three questions and be very brief on both directions so we make sure everyone gets heard okay
6: my name is Xavier Jackson I'm a freshman here um, my question was uh, at the beginning of the first season I heard that it was
3: the story was intended to be a micro series or something I might I might be
6: wrong but but maybe it seemed like uh, during the first season that it could have ended, and that would have just been the, the entire hero's
0: side. That's not true,
5: and what's interesting is that we found that, we, we discovered that people had that perception of it, and we do not know where that came from, and, and potentially came out of the marketing or the promotion of the show, and, and there were messages that were put out there that were misinterpreted, but uh, that, that was never the case, it was always designed to be an ongoing series.
1: Thank you. Okay, and then Matt, and then I'll get to Jason.
9: Uh, My name is Matthew Ice. I'm a producer for the uh, Singapore MIT Gamut Game Lab, and I just would like to know what kind of stories inspire you guys. What stuff you geek out about, and uh, what kind of stuff is, you know, you think back and say, "Oh, I love that experience of watching that show. That's the kind, or that movie, game, whatever," and that's the kind of experience I want to create for the people uh, watching Heroes. Go me. God, I'm like
6: just a huge Star Wars geek and Indiana Jones and. That's pretty much me. <laughs> I, love all, I love all things like ancient cultures and just the deep mythologies between the, you know civilizations past. and I, I'm kind of obsessed with Mayan culture and Atlantis and things like that. And superheroes, I guess. I, I loved super
5: friends when I was a little kid. Uh, I'm a Star Wars freak. I love Star Wars like crazy. I recently got to go to Skywalker Ranch. It was the high point of my life. <laughs> uh, uh, so that that that's a was a huge defining you know thing for the way I look at media. And George Lucas continues to be an innovator in in the exploitation of a brand and the transmedia things that Lucasfilm is doing now and is planning on doing in the future, it's everything we talk about here, but they're actually doing it. And they can because it's all, it's whatever George wants to do. And he has the pockets and he has the franchise to be able to, 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 to do that kind of thing. Um, I, I also love uh, video games, grew up playing video games. So, uh, you know, I'm a core gamer and grew up reading comic books. And, you know, Batman was is huge for me. And um, I watched probably too much television as well read too much sci-fi probably, you know, love Neuromancers, I mean, William Gibson is one of my favorites, Neil Stevenson obviously is fantastic.
1: Okay. Jason,
4: last question. Um, I'm Jason Mattel and I'm a media scholar from Middlebury College and um, one, one of the things I really appreciate about Heroes is its uh, sort of willingness to mix a lot of genres and to really play with those boundaries. And one genre I'm curious about how you relate to in your storytelling is the soap opera. and. In some ways, I see some, some elements that seem that heroes more than some of the other complex serial uh, primetime shows uses soap opera form. I'm curious in the writers' room what is the per, what is the place of the soap opera? Is it something you are reacting against? Is it something is it a, a sort of red flag or is it something you are trying to legitimize? Through? I still
5: think there's a lot to be learned from soap operas that none of us in the writers' room know mm-hmm. that, uh, uh, that um, you know, I, I went to film school, you know, I, I didn't watch soap operas, you know, uh, I watched Godard movies and Nicholas Ray movies and Samuel Fuller movies and, you know, Spielberg movies and, and, and soap operas was never on my radar. Um, so I've bought books on writing soap operas that I've never opened. You know, it, it just for me, it's it's a disconnect, and it feels like there's so much there in that space, and there's so many resources in that space that we haven't accessed. And the one, I guess it's a corollary or something, is the the old time cliffhanger cereal is something that I'm very familiar with, and you know, and and a and a hardcore fan of you know, Spy Smasher is, is an incredible you know serial, and people you know should should check it out. Some of the things that they were doing back then were were amazing. Um, in terms of Uh, potentially, you know, melodrama and the the balance of character drama that we have on our show and how that relates to action components to our show. That's a mess for us right now, figuring out what the balance is, you know, to do that. We, last season, crafted the first five episodes to essentially be like crack cocaine, that you would get addicted to the show and addicted to the narrative pace of the show. And that worked awesome for us but it also set the bar very high. So that it's been challenging for us to slow down uh, in, in, in any ways and tell more character based stories. Um, if that is on point at all.
8: No, that's
1: great. Go Well, thanks, thanks for a great session.